past hour came from Van Gorder's Furniture featuring Lodge and Adirondack styles, as well as rustic collections and showrooms at Lake Wampopic. Downtown Honesdale, Milford, PA, Van Gorder's Furniture brings the outdoors inside. VanGorders.com. It's time for Let's Talk Vets. It's coming right up. Don't go anywhere. Support comes from Bethel Woods Center for the Arts, presenting Grammy Award winner Chris Stapleton with Margot Price and Kendall Marvel on September 23rd. Tickets available beginning Friday at 10 a.m. BethelWoodCenter.org. Hi, Staff Sergeant Doug. Apologies. Hold on one moment. We've got Let's Talk Vets right here for you. PR station for the Catskills and Northeast Pennsylvania. Radio Catskill, keeping you connected. Well, good evening, and welcome to Let's Talk Vets on Radio Catskill, WJFF. I'm your host, Staff Sergeant Doug Sandberg. Our mission is to provide news, entertainment, and information of particular interest to area veterans, active service members, and their families. Well, tonight we'll chat with a couple of fellas, Eli Wright and Walt Nygaard, of Frontline Arts. Turning uniforms into paper, dreams into art, hurt into healing, and transforming an icon of war, the military uniform, into a medium for individual expression and healing. Our friend Dawn Shaw will join us. She is the director of the VA Hudson Valley Healthcare System with the latest news on the VA today. First, however, here's a couple of things we thought would be of interest to you. Snowfit called Stockade Works. It's a nonprofit organization dedicated to furthering the potential of film slash TV, media, and tech jobs in the Hudson Valley. Access and inclusion are the core of their mission. They believe that every individual should have opportunities for quality, well-paying jobs with avenues for advancement. A Stockade Works serves all people looking for employment and careers in the Hudson Valley with a focus on those members of the community who have been locked out of employment 
or training opportunities, particularly women, people of color, veterans, and those who are underemployed. Uh, they find that veterans are particularly well-suited to work on film and TV sets, and they're growing their participation with local veterans' organizations to build upon the success they've had to date with veteran graduates. Stockade Works is excited to announce the launch of their newest training program, a production accounting for film and television online workshop, which will run for six sessions beginning Monday, May 10th through May 27th. This six-session workshop is fit for those already working in the industry who may be seeking deeper insights into production accounting, as well as current accountants looking to transition into the entertainment field. The workshop is open to participants 18 years of age and older and will follow the trajectory of an actual production, providing students with the tools necessary to advance their production accounting career across all entertainment mediums. Stockade Works offers full and partial scholarships for all their training programs. More details on scholarships are on the application. For information and to apply, please visit www.stockadeworks.org or email info at stockadeworks.org. The deadline for applications for this session is Monday, April 26th at 5 p.m. Dateline Washington, a Pentagon panel is recommending that decisions to prosecute service members for sexual assault be made by independent authorities, not commanders, in what would be a major reversal of military practice and a change long sought by members of Congress. The recommendation by an independent review commission created by Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin goes against decades of vehement Pentagon arguments to keep cases within the chain of command. It was among a number of initial recommendations delivered to Austin on Thursday last week, according to senior defense officials. Austin expects to seek input from the military service leaders before making any final decisions, said the officials, who spoke on condition of anonymity. But combating sexual assault in the military is a top priority for Austin, and the fact that these recommendations were made so directly and quickly suggests it will carry a lot of weight. The panel also recommending that sexual harassment claims be investigated outside the chain of command, and that if a charge is substantiated, the military should immediately begin the process of discharging that person from the force while other legal proceedings continue. The officials said the driving part of the panel's deliberations was the belief that many service members have lost faith in the system and that these changes would help restore that faith. Eventually, they said, it could lead to increased reporting by victims of sexual assaults. The changes would require an increase in funding and personnel, but it is not clear yet how much. Removing legal decisions from the chain of command, however, won't eliminate the role of the commander in addressing sexual misconduct, the officials said, unit leaders will still be responsible for setting the proper command climate and still must play a role in preventing and addressing sexual assault, harassment, and other problems with their service members.
It's once again time to check in with our friend Don Shaw, Director of VA Hudson Valley Healthcare System, for the latest news from the VA today. Hello. I'm excited to share that on March 24, 2021, the President signed into law the Save Lives Act. This act authorizes the Department of Veterans Affairs to provide COVID-19 vaccine to all veterans, including those not enrolled in the VA health care system, as well as their caregivers and spouses, and a limited group of children. Under the law, VA Hudson Valley is authorized to vaccinate anyone who served in the U.S. military, including National Guard, Reserves, and Coast Guard, spouses of veterans, including those in same-sex and common-law marriages, widows or widowers of veterans, and individuals who characterize their relationship as spousal. Caregivers of veterans, which includes family member or friends who provide care to the veteran or helps the veteran with personal needs like feeding, bathing, dressing, or tasks like transportation and shopping, as well as CHAMP VA recipients who include spouses or children of permanently and totally disabled veterans or veterans who have died from service-connected disabilities and meet the CDC vaccine age requirements. Veterans, caregivers, and spouses can stop by our walk-in COVID-19 vaccine clinics at our Castle Point campus without an appointment Monday through Friday, 8.30 a.m. until 2.30 p.m., or our Montrose campus on Mondays and Thursdays from 8.30 a.m. until 2.30 p.m., or they can schedule their vaccination at one of our main campuses or seven community outpatient clinics by calling us at 845-831-2000, extension 217-666. Lastly, I'd like to encourage everyone, especially our veterans, to get vaccinated. Even as our nation makes great efforts to vaccinate as many people as possible, more and more people contract the virus every day. As the criteria for receiving the vaccine expands, our time to get vaccinated is now. Please help us protect you and your loved ones by visiting one of our walk-in clinics or by calling us at 845-831-2000, extension 217-666, to make an appointment to receive your vaccine. Thanks for all you do, Doug, and thanks to our veterans, and have a great day. Thank you, Don. sat in that long line of barber chairs And the sergeant asked him, son, would you like to keep your hair? He said, yes, sir, as he heard those clippers buzz and hum And the sergeant said, well, hold out your hands, cause here it comes Simplify do or die So gung-ho to go and pay the price Here's to leather next 
devil dogs and jarheads Paris Island in July Semper Fi I sleep in my bed instead of a foxhole I've never heard my boss tell me to lock and load Ain't no bullet holes in the side of my SUV Because the kid next door just shipped out overseas Simplify Dogs and jarheads And Paris Island in July Simplify For the few that wear the dress blues With haircut high and tight Who are proud to be the first ones in the fight Simplify Trace Atkins and Semper Fi. You're listening to Let's Talk Vets on Radio Catskill, WJFF. I'm your host, Staff Sergeant Doug Sandberg. Many veterans come home from war with extra baggage. We're not talking about souvenirs. No, we're talking about the real cost of war, borne by our women and men of uniform. Post-traumatic stress is invasive and as deadly as any virus. It affects not only the veteran, but their family, friends, and associates. The list of symptoms and causes is very long. And to complicate matters, veterans often have to fight with their own government to get the help and benefits they have earned. That, of course, there is a civilian population that has no concept of what it means to go into harm's way to protect our country. Creative arts helps on so many levels. Fundamentally speaking, the act of creating anything demands concentration on the task and provides a diversion from the demons, if only for a few hours. But as work evolves, so does the mind. For some, creative arts have become a path to healing. For some, 
creative arts have literally become a vehicle for transformation. We want to welcome Eli Wright, who is co-founder of Combat Paper New Jersey, which is now Frontline Arts, and Walter Nygaard, who's a uh, Vietnam vet and the studio manager for Frontline Arts. Good evening, guys. Uh, hello. Glad to have you with us, and uh, thank you for taking the time to do this. Yeah, thanks for having us. So this is a question for both of you. Eli, we'll let you go first. Uh, give us a little quick sketch of where you served, what branch you served, and where you were deployed. Yeah, so I served as an Army medic. I joined the Army right after 9-11. I was 20 years old, and I deployed to Iraq in 2003, a few months after the invasion. And I was there for just over a year. And then I served until 2008 when I was uh, medically retired from service. Okay, Walt, so to you now. I served in the United States Marine Corps from in 1969 and 70. Um, I got to Vietnam in September of 69 and was there until the beginning of 1970 when my battalion went to sea. We were a battalion landing team. We floated around in the Philippines and Hong Kong. In, uh, and in the spring of 1970, Richard Nixon invaded Cambodia, and we went right back to Vietnam. And we were there for about a month or so more, and then back to Okinawa, and that's where I finished up my overseas tour of duty. Making paper out of cloth is nothing new. What is new is the application of this process to transform an icon of war, the military uniform, and with it some of the psychological load veterans carry into something new and creative. So what exactly is Frontline Arts, and how did the organization come to be? Frontline Arts evolved out of uh, Combat Paper New Jersey, which um, I helped co-found along with a good friend and fellow collaborator, uh, David Keefe. He's a Marine Corps vet himself. We're about the same age. We served around the same time in Iraq, not too far from each other, long before we met, actually. But we both came from a similar uh, experience. So in 2011, we were contacted by what was then the Printmaking Center of New Jersey. And they were interested in helping start a satellite program papermaking initiative with veterans out of the combat paper project. So we got together with them and decided to start this project out of the Printmaking Center in New Jersey. And for a few years, we were just a sort of uh, child program of the Printmaking Center. And then over time, through the course of various comings and goings, combat paper New Jersey had the opportunity to take over the entire organization and studio space of the Printmaking Center of New Jersey, and that's when we started Frontline Arts, which then became an expansion beyond just papermaking piece of it and started expanding more into other artistic mediums and various other forms of printmaking and now even other projects involving sculpting and things like that. 
Okay, were you and David acquainted before you were contacted? Uh, we were not actually. Dave was a he was a teaching artist. Uh, he is a painter by training, and my background was in paper making for a few years before that. I'd gotten started in this about 2007. And we just happened to both be local to the area where the printmaking center was located. And at that time, I was, I'd been on hiatus a little bit from my artistic practice shortly after the birth of my child. And so I was itching to get back into a studio and started asking around to find a place that I could just go to work. It was sort of a, I mean, I'm, I'm not inclined to uh, much of belief in divine intervention, but it almost felt as much um, because she said she was actually just getting ready to contact me and ask if I was interested in helping them start <laughs> um, a satellite mill of the combat paper project. And she had this other veteran in mind who was recommended to her, who was a Iraq vet himself and a painter and an artist. And she thought the two of us would really hit it off and, and be good collaborators. And so she brought us into the studio one day and we sat down and started talking and and it seemed pretty clear to us right away that we needed to take this opportunity and so we started working together and over the course of a few months i trained him up in what i knew of paper making and you know he taught me a little bit about what he knew and we just collaborated and a couple months later opened our doors for the first time to the first group of local veterans around the new jersey and new york city area who came to start working on uh, their various projects. And I guess almost 10 years later now, we're still here doing much of the same work as we've grown and expanded from that initial uh, collaboration between just a couple of us. Walt, could you take us through the process of transforming old uniforms into paper? What we do basically is we set up a workshop where veterans can come in and sit around a table and cut rag, as we call it. And you take uh, uniforms and cut them into postage stamp sized pieces, and they go into a machine called a beater, which is basically a large stainless steel vat with a roller and bed plate that, that is grooved and bladed, and that when the rag, along with water, and usually we'll have to add cotton to facilitate the binding of the fibers. Uh, a flow is created in this vat and it goes around and the roller and the beater pound it and pound it and macerate it and beat it into a pulp. And from that pulp, which we put into vats, we use a mold, which is a, a finely meshed screen and a decal, which is a, just a wooden frame that holds it together. We pull sheets of paper and we they're wet but they stack up. We press them and dry them, and they're fully formed sheets of paper that we can use for artwork. Uh, if, a, if a veteran comes in with his uniform or her uniform and they want to make a specific project from their uniforms, we'll assist them in doing that. We'll make a dedicated batch pulp from their uniforms. We get a lot of donations from all over the place and from different circumstances, and we'll, we'll keep them by type, like Desert Tan or Army ACUs, which are kind of gray, uh, woodland camouflage, so we can make different colors. 
in workshops, we usually get all three mixed together, and we call that community rag. So the paper that we make can can be we can make it different sizes, but although we have standard sizes, and it, it comes in a variety of colors, and it's very tough, and it's great for printmaking. And we are a printmaking studio, so we we're fully silkscreen capable, and we do relief, both relief and intaglio printing. Lino cut, wood cuts, etching, and we also have a letter press, so you can you can make you can you can use text. You can put together text and and print it. So uh, we, you know we're a fully developed print center, and uh, we keep on going. What is a batch? A typical batch that you would run. How much material is required for a batch, and how long does it take? to go from a uniform to a usable sheet of paper that's fully cured, I guess is the word. Cutting rag is kind of uh, labor intense. It takes a while you, to make a batch. That, that can vary depending upon the beater you use. The, the, the beater that we have at our studio in Branchburg, at Frontline Art Studio, is a David Raina beater. It was... Uh, constructed by a guy named David Rayna, obviously, in, in Brooklyn, and, and we know him. Uh, he's There's a brilliant papermaking and printmaking uh, facility that sells all kinds of stuff, and they make, <clears throat> they make beaters. And uh, ours is a two-and-a-half-pound capacity one. So that's how much a batch is, is two-and-a-half pounds. Now, that generally would... If it's a modern uniform, most of like Army combat uniforms and the Marine Corps digital camo and all of that, is, for the most part, is 50% cotton and 50% nylon. And we need cotton because cotton is what binds. So we'll have to augment that 50-50 uniform with, with another 50% of raw cotton. So that... Two and a half pound batch, you're going to have, you know, 16 ounces or so of cut rag, which is not a lot when you think about it. But when you see the pile that constitutes 16 ounces of rag, it's a pretty good pile. And out of that two and a half pound batch, once it's fully beaten and I drain the beater, I'll have two five-gallon buckets of pulp. Our standard our standard paper size is, is 11 by 14. And out of each of those buckets, I can get somewhere between 25 and 30 sheets of paper. So say 50 to 60 out of a batch. You, know, the, you, you can cut that much rag in, you know, in an afternoon, not even a whole afternoon. The beating time depending on how you beat it, it can be anywhere from two to four hours. Sometimes we'll beat them as even longer because we want to make a real fine, fine batch of, of pulp. Pulling the sheets, you can do that all day long. I do. I, I make a lot of paper, and my Thursdays are filled with hours of sheet pulling. Every single one of them is a little bit different. It's handmade paper. It's a very <laughs> zen Thing to do. It's repetitious, but it's very cool. It's very meditative. And um, then we will press them to get 
the excess water out of them, and I put them in a dry box where they're separated and there's airflow that goes through them. Usually by in 24 hours, you know, 36 hours, definitely, you'll have a dry usable sheet. You'll have a batch of, of dry paper that you can use. How do veterans end up at your front door? Mostly through word of mouth these days in social media. You know, I mean, we're a very small nonprofit organization. We get by on a shoestring budget, so we don't have any means of advertising other than, you know, largely the word of mouth of people who've been through the program before. So by a lot of outreach through veterans organizations of all different types and through social media, certainly with the younger generation of vets, that's been a big factor that we rely on. And so what we do at our home studio in Jersey, it's, you know, it's in suburban New Jersey. So unfortunately we're not um, as accessible as we would like to be to a larger population of veterans, but we are located within less than two hours from both New York city and Philadelphia. So we've been able to get veterans from time to time um, from both places, but most of the folks that we have are local around New Jersey The main thing that has allowed our program to proliferate and reach as many people as it has is our traveling component. Since the beginning, we have had a a traveling workshop model where we essentially pack up all of the the basic gear that we need for papermaking and and some printmaking, and we load it up in a van and hit the road. We have worked at a number of college campuses all over the region, military hospitals, various other places, sometimes just setting up on a street corner, various arts festivals, lots of different places. And so it's really the community outreach that we tend to meet most of the veterans who get involved in the project. So a lot of that is through student veteran organizations. A large population that we work with is uh, service members and veterans who are in treatment at military hospitals. So that's been kind of the core of our programming outside of the home studio there in New Jersey. So we travel all over the Northeast region and uh, more broadly, the project and other affiliated kind of uh, facets of it with other artists and other locations. We've brought this craft all over the world. And so it's had a pretty good wide reach. And it's mostly through us actually going out there and finding veterans in their communities Um, So we don't always just rely on them to come find us. We go out there looking for them, and and that's how we found the most success. So when you do these mobile events, what do you set up for two days, a week? It varies. So we have a range of different models, and, and part of why it's been so successful is that we have been very innovative and adaptive. So we've been able to set up on a street corner with, you know, a couple of folding tables and no shelter for a few hours on an afternoon, anywhere from that up to a whole week at a college campus or at an arts institution. And there's actually a craft school up in Maine called Haystack Mountain School of Crafts that we've done a series of programs there where it ranges from a week to two weeks of an in-house program and an isolated campus with housing and food and everything. And so folks will come and stay there with us the entire time. And we'll have like a, you know, a dedicated cohort of participants. So, you know, the model varies widely and it's all based on just 
who we're working with and what kind of budget we're working with. And I think one of the things that's been exciting about it that has helped us stand apart from uh, much of the tradition of paper making is that is that we have been able to create a mobile studio and historically paper making and printmaking have not been very mobile they're usually attached to very large heavy expensive equipment that requires a full building and you know and all of that we we do have but thanks to some mad scientists and mechanical engineering wizards out there that we've collaborated with we've been able to find and and create equipment that is compact and mobile that we can throw in the back of a van and take with us anywhere like one of our machines that we actually process the paper pulp with it's called a hollander beater we have one that can actually be powered by a bicycle if we are somewhere without any electricity so it's very innovative and and we've been able to kind of hack our way <laughs> around some of the traditional constraints of paper making print making so it's pretty exciting to be able to throw it all in a van and just go out there just about anywhere that will have us will show up and set up and make it happen seems clear that the creative process is very beneficial to veterans coping with physical and psychological injuries of war do most veterans come to your organization with the goal of creating something or understanding what they're going to be doing, or is it just something that evolves over time? The whole idea, and we began with open workshops for veterans. We had a specific time. Anybody was welcome. They could come in, and, and it all began around a table with veterans sitting around with uniforms, cutting them up, doing the busy work of deconstructing the uniforms. We say we deconstruct the uniforms, we reclaim them as paper, and we communicate our stories through art. And a lot of veterans would come in, young veterans from Afghanistan and from Iraq, and they would be intrigued by the whole process, and they'd see some of the work that we'd already done and thought it was pretty cool, but they didn't self-identify as artists. We're not artists. We don't draw and this and that. And, you know, my response and our response was, well, okay, maybe you're not an artist, but you've got a story and we're going to give you the opportunity to tell it. And they start telling it sitting around that table where we would talk about simple things, dark things, happy things. We talk about our service, where we've been, who we'd known, what we liked, what was funny, stupid stuff that happened. You know, we talk about girls and if the girls were there, they'd talk about boys and movies and cars or whatever. But it, a community was built. And from that community, a bunch of us have stuck around. A lot, you know, the, the workshops, thousands of people have gone through them, hundreds and thousands. Not Well, not hundreds and thousands, but lots, lots of veterans have come through. And mostly they've gone on to doing other things, especially the younger ones going back to school or jobs or, or families or kids. But those of us who have stuck around continue to make artwork and grow in the process, learn more about it, about the history. We've done workshops for the Army and the Department of Defense in Washington, D.C., at Bethesda and, and Walter Reed and the, and the USO at Fort Belvoir and at colleges all over New Jersey and up, up to Maine and out to Kentucky. So um, a lot of people have seen what we do and have participated in it. 
So I can conclude also that the process of helping vets discover something within themselves is also beneficial to volunteers and staff, huh? Well, certainly. I don't think that I would be as impassioned about this if it wasn't, you know, an experience that I had myself and working with others with that shared experience. I certainly wouldn't say that it's a means of forgetting, right? I think one of the things that we do is allow and assist people in processing their experiences, finding meaning in their experiences, finding ownership of their experiences. And, you know, I don't think we can forget where we've been and what we've done, no matter how much we may want to, but we can develop a different relationship with those experiences. And I think that's what the power of art holds is, is that it allows us to take ownership of that experience and to tell our own stories. I think there's something that all veterans understand is that much of the, uh, the pop culture, the Hollywood media narrative about our experiences often does not ring true. And it's important that veterans feel empowered to tell their own stories instead of having other people tell them for us. I would say that's the power of this type of work and processing certainly trauma, but you know, it's not all about traumatic experiences either, but specifically with processing trauma as it relates to war and the military experience, doing that through art allows us to find a new language. So often what we've experienced, we can't find the words to talk about or sometimes not even to write about, but people can create images or concepts or sculptures or any number of other creative approaches to telling those stories. And I think that's really the power of it is, is embracing it and, and, you know, retelling it through one's own means rather than trying to bury it or forget about it. You know, we often talk about the uniform itself and why it's such a powerful material and, and metaphor for those experiences. And it's, it's often related to that common experience that a lot of veterans have, right? What do you do with your uniform when you get out of the military? It's often stuffed in a duffel bag, put away in a closet, buried up in an attic somewhere. And that material itself is, is often forgotten about. But the experiences within it are never forgotten by the veteran themselves, right? And so by pulling that symbol out of those dark places and actually using that as the artistic medium allows us to actually tell those stories rather than forgetting about them and burying them away. So there's a, there's a great <clears throat> film that um, you and others took part in producing this independent film. This is not a war story. I had the privilege of viewing it and it is very, very powerful but um, how do you think that film will affect people's awareness of what you guys are doing and to the larger picture of how creativity and creative arts can be a vehicle for healing? Well, the, the film collaboration started actually back in 2016, so it's been quite a few years in the making. It was a long intensive collaboration. Um, so uh, there's a filmmaker, Talia Lugasi. She sought us out 
kind of out of the blue back then. She was working on a script. It, this uh, is actually her second feature film. So she was working on this story. She was writing it for quite a while about trauma and suicide. And originally it was not within the context of the military experience, but as she tells the story over time, as she was writing it, it just sort of evolved into the main characters being veterans. And so she started reading and searching the internet for veterans that she could speak with about it. And our work came up. She found Dave and myself one day at Columbia University. We were just standing out there and making paper with students and the public. And she came up and started talking to us. And so the conversation just started there. And then over um, the next year or so, uh, she started spending a lot of time in our studio with us, um, learning the craft. So we were teaching her how the paper is made and telling her our stories. And as she kept developing the script, it just became a deeper collaboration between us. And so uh, the film was shot over mostly over the summer in 2018, I believe. But the film finally was released just recently at the San Francisco Indie Fest. So it is currently in the festival circuit. Unfortunately, because of COVID and all of the shutdowns, the film was supposed to come out last year in 2020. That didn't happen as most things didn't happen in 2020, except one disaster after another. So unfortunately, it was not able to get a theatrical release yet. And so everything has moved online. And so now we're getting the movie out there online best we can and it'll eventually be on more platforms and it'll be easier for people to find but currently the trailer is easy to find on youtube if you just search this is not a war story also the film's uh, website acousticpictures.com has a lot of info and and myself and some of the other frontline arts artists and uh, warrior writers, other folks will be doing some outreach and advertising once there are more details about uh, when and where the film can be viewed. So uh, it hasn't reached a huge viewership yet, as it's still just in the you know the independent film festival circuit. So I can't really speak to how many people it has drawn towards us or anything like that and hasn't reached a wide audience yet. But we do certainly hope and expect for a number of new people to find us and get involved, hopefully with the broader release of that film. But it's been an amazing experience, and it certainly was very intentionally approached so that it gives us an opportunity to tell our own stories and it very much does push back against the sort of typical Hollywood media narrative of um, what we know of and what we're used to seeing about uh, war stories and what the military experience is like. I, ho I hope that the, the kind of people who stormed the Capitol, all of those idiot people, see it especially the ones who say they were veterans because i i didn't realize it until the last time I've, i saw it and i and I've, i saw the film three different times as it was in production and it changed and, the, and i saw the finished product and what struck me most about it is how timely it is right now with with american perception 
of veterans being somewhat, I feel, damaged by what happened on January 6th, badly damaged and disgraced. These guys were violated the oath they took to serve their country. And we, uh, this film, without trying, because we, it was filmed before all of this happened, really pushes back on that notion. There are scenes in there that really, I, I think, not to make us noble, but to make us citizens, to make us veterans who are coming back to be citizens of this country and decent citizens. You know, it's it's a great film, and and I think it's really a timely film. So I hope people, just you know, the the civilians of the world, and and the veterans who, you know, don't who are mixed up and crazy and don't know what to believe in. I I hope they see this film. The the idea might occur to them that uh, there are uh, other ways of expressing yourself. That are that have more meaning and more lasting and can can beautify the world that can that can tighten you up with your own with your the people who you love and the people who are around you who see you as doing a positive thing and, and something to make the world better. Well, the civilian military disconnect is a significant issue affecting uh, veterans Fair reintegration. Right. And um, this was very well highlighted in a scene at the art gallery in your film. Um, yeah. How does this how does this impede the process and and through your art and showings at the gallery and your mobile demonstrations? Do you feel that you are making this disconnect a little bit smaller? I hope so. Um I don't harbor any illusions that I'm going to, you know, change the world or end the war with, <laughs> with the art that I make or, you know, with the, the social and community engagement that I do. But, you know, I feel like if, if one person can see this film and tell us that they feel like something resonated or that they felt represented for the first time or that, you know, or that maybe that they decided not to join the military and, and go off to war um, and risk their lives. If I feel like it reaches one or two people, then it's been successful for me. And so far, the number of veterans that we have reached with this film has been overwhelmingly positive. And so I do feel like despite its um, limited reach so far, it's been an incredible success. And we've also heard a lot of really great feedback from civilians who do not have military experience or more commonly civilians who have family members who had served in the military. And of course, I think most of us know that old story that, you know, grandpa came back from the war and never talked about it or uncle so-and-so, you know, never spoke about his experiences after he got out. And we never saw the uniform that he wore, right? Because it was likely (laughs) stashed away in a duffel bag in a closet somewhere. So, you know, engaging in this kind of storytelling really allows us to challenge that culture of silence that we have around the military experience. And, and it's this, you know, it's this weird paradox that we have so many war stories out there, you know, in, in, in movies and TV shows, and there's no 
shortage of, of novels and, you know, anthologies of poetry. And we have so many, so much cultural production, you know, about our wars. And yet we have so little conversation actually happening within families and communities and, and, you know, academic institutions. I mean, so many veterans have, share that common experience that we just can't really talk about it, either because people don't want to listen or we don't know how to describe it. And so I really do hope that this film can be some effort towards opening up a conversation and really helping, you know, maybe serve as a as a bridge between the military and civilian worlds and, and allow us to at least start some of those very difficult conversations that we need to be having. All right. Well, I want to thank both you and Walt for spending the time to reach out to our audience here at Radio Catskill, WJFF. The show is Let's Talk Vets. And in closing, I'd like you to let us know how our listeners could help Frontline Arts get involved with Frontline Arts website, contact information, donations, not sure. And also, if they wish to see the film, can they buy a ticket online and watch it online as it traverses through the different uh, parts of the circuit? Uh, yeah, certainly. So I guess first off, um, for Frontline Arts, we can easily be found at frontlinearts.org. We are, as I said, a very small nonprofit, and so we do rely on donations from people, either you know with monetary donations or uh, uniforms. Most of the uniforms that we work with are sent to us in the mail or dropped off by folks, so we are always looking for more raw material. As far as uh, the film goes, more info can be found at the Acoustic Pictures website and also any announcements um, I think should be made on the uh, YouTube um, page where the trailer is currently found for This Is Not A War Story. My personal website and Instagram, I'll certainly be sharing details as they emerge for uh, viewing of the film on my Instagram, which is uh, E.S. Wright, spelled W-R-I-T-E. And folks can see some of uh, some of my work, much of uh, which was also in the film on my Instagram page um, or my website. My website is nyc. The film is currently bouncing between festivals. Some of them only run a couple of days, so I can't say specifically what will be currently running when when folks uh, are able to listen to this. So I would say just stay tuned to our various social media and websites and we'll be also through our Facebook pages. If you just search us on any of those platforms, Frontline Arts uh, or This Is Not A War Story, uh, you'll be able to find details there. I, I think that's about it. Um, did I miss anything? I don't think so. Thank you to you and Walt for taking the time to tell this uh, very compelling story. Thanks, Eli. Thank you, Doug. It was great talking to you. All right. Well, thanks for calling, Doug. And, uh, you know, good luck with your work. And I'll talk to you again soon. Well, I appreciate it. Take care, Walt. Righto. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
What a great story. Organizations like Frontline Arts help veterans regain or in some cases develop new identities, a new purpose, a new reason to keep on keeping on. When we enlist, we take a leap of faith for many reasons. Most of us believe in the principles and promises of America, and to defend those is a noble endeavor. How does one lose his or her identity? Well, we are to a great extent a product of what we do, right? Even the most benign military experience changes our identity. Sustaining the physical and moral injuries of war certainly does. Reconnecting can be a major challenge, and so organizations like Frontline Arts are critical to a veteran's reintegration and well-being. In our interview, Walt Nygaard mentioned something very important with regards to the events of January 6th. We can all condemn events which are unruly and violent, and indeed the rule of law must prevail. But where is the same outrage regarding the riots and looting which continue to plague this country? It should be clear to most folks that what began in most cases as peaceful expression of our First Amendment rights has been co-opted by those whose only intent is sowing and cultivating the seeds of division for political gain. The events of January the 6th are no different. Were there veterans involved? Yep. In fact, there were some active and reserve members as well. One thing is clear. There are a lot of very unhappy people in this country today and I'm not referring only to Trump voters. Could it be that, like the veteran who has lost his or her identity as a result of exposure to the atrocities of war, our country is struggling with the same issue as a result of the atrocities of politics, the hypocrisy of politicians, and the dystopian vision of some for the future of this great nation? We need to stop treating the symptom and start treating the cause. Division, disrespect, and disconnect are intentional and very much a product of today's political narrative. In many circles, our military is something to be tolerated, not celebrated. And that, my friends, that general attitude extends to our men and women in uniform. Yes, we are stopped and thanked for our service from time to time, and that's that's a great thing. But the fact that agencies like the VA continue to reject or slow-walk claims for earned benefits is the height of disrespect. Don't believe that? I just do a little research into Agent Orange and and now burn pits. I guess if we can stall long enough, the problem may resolve itself, right? Just saying. The good news is we are fortunate and there are still a core of men and women willing to put their lives on hold and go into harm's way to protect us all, even when some of us as individuals don't deserve it. We wish to acknowledge the following people and organizations that made this show possible. Eli Wright and Walt Nygaard from Frontline Arts. Don Shaw, director of the VA Hudson Valley Healthcare System. The Military Times for some of the news that we read. And Trace Atkins for his song, Semper Fi. And we can't forget you for joining us once again for Let's Talk Vets. Let your friends know about this program and share with us your comments and suggestions for future shows. Like to be on the program? Call us. We'll talk. Also, send us your upcoming events so we may get them on the air. You can email me at vets at wjffradio.org. You can leave us a voicemail at 845-431-6500. Until our next formation, I'm your host, Staff Sergeant Doug Sandberg. Thanks for listening. 
Thank you for your service. Company dismissed.